0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin, here with the not-at-all-harried Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos, what's going
1: on, my friend? I mean, you and I, neither of us have anything to do. We're totally on top of all of our deadlines and things, and so it's all good. It's all good. Mm. And
0: in the, between all of this, we're going to see how much news we can cram into yeah. about 20 minutes.
1: I mean, tell me, though, do we have a tweet bag today? Because I just want to say tweet bag.
0: Of course we do. We always have a tweet bag. Uh, the listener tweet bag this week comes from Mr. Greg Marks Mm -hmm. at Scarret the Green on Twitter. Um, he says, I've been thinking about the one D and D playtest, long rest, healing all stat damage, but only one level of exhaustion. What if instead it heals the point, I points or levels equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. Uh, So we'll be talking about that exhaustion thing later. I don't know Mm -hmm. if we'll get to it today, but real quickly, um, right now, you know, in the, in the current version of the one DD d playtest, exhaustion is for each level of exhaustion, you have a minus one to all your D20 rolls. And so you can go several levels of exhaustion, um, And we'll talk about what we think about that. But it it was interesting that a long rest heals one level of exhaustion, but a long rest heals all of your stat damage. And so Greg, of course, asks, what about that? And I'm less worried about the fiddly bits of, well, what about about more points? What about less points? Let's just get rid of ability damage altogether. Uh, That's my take on this. And I don't know if Teos agrees with me or not.
1: I mean, I have semi-fond memories of third edition ability damage in that I feel like it was a kind of a different thing, right? It had a different feeling when shadows attacked you and many other things that would sort of sap an ability. And some pretty scary moments and and like people turned into shadows and things like that. And I guess the question for me is, Sean, would you like ability damage if it changed some way? Like it was disadvantage to ability checks or a penalty to ability checks for that ability or I don't know, or is it just all terrible? Like, is there something other than hit point damage the game should have?
0: There can be, but for me, it feels like a a shortcut to a destination that you don't want to arrive at. (laughs) Uh huh. Right, because if if there was a nice system in place that. A, worked story-wise and B, worked game mechanically, then I could see Mm -hmm. it. If there were certain monsters that did certain poisons that did ability damage and that meant something cool in the Mm -hmm. story and cool in the game, but right now there's very little of it in the game, in in the current version of 5th edition, and it seems sort of a gotcha and as a yeah. dm i do like it because it is a way to scare players that you no longer have 172 hit points right. you have 10 hit points because that's your strength score and i have a way of taking those away from you and but it doesn't it's it's too complex to try to say well every check that you make that relies on strength including your attack rolls are now yeah. going to be you know less by a certain number. That's too much figuring. But yeah, a great by not example doing that, that was
1: spells, right? Like right. there used to be like if you took intelligence damage, then the wizard would have to recalculate their spell slots like, oh my goodness. Like
0: just... Right. <laughs> yeah. So 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 this was a this was a big thing in previous editions, and I understand your fondness for it because I have a certain fondness for mm-hmm. it as well, but I don't want that fondness, you know, that nostalgia for it to get in the way of how the game is currently working. It really doesn't support it all that well.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and this is the kind of thing I'd like for one d d to try is throw me a bunch of different systems that mm-hmm. work differently, right? Like, like this new exhaustion is better than the old exhaustion, and I would argue mm-hmm. the old exhaustion shouldn't have gone to print. Uh, but I mean, none of us are perfect uh, but i 'd love to see some other concepts right like like right. what is a way that we can have non hit point damage that would feel cool right and not be exploitable and like for example four um the counterpart to four e for Star Wars, Saga Edition had this track that was mm-hmm. like another non hit point way that you could follow down this track, but very quickly, people figured out how to exploit it to get you down to the end, which was like right. death or can 't move can 't do things. it was a complete nerf and so people figured out how to get you right to that point and then it was well the game is now broken and doesn't function right right? so you always have to be so careful creating these auxiliary systems because hit points is clean and everything else isn't
0: right exactly and so you could make it fun but you don't want to have okay if you have start with eight strength you take eight points of strength damage you're at zero you die that's no fun. That's a shortcut to where you don't want to be, like I said. Yeah. But if you make it too easy, well, if if you're anywhere between your max and zero, then you had, you're at disadvantage for all mm-hmm. roles that use that ability. Okay, that's something. But what happens if you hit zero? Okay, well, say you're unconscious then. Okay, well, how do you get someone up from unconscious? Is there a very specific spell you need? Can a medicine check do it so that now you're adding all of these things that make it more could make it more fun, but it will definitely make it more complicated and therefore exploitable.
1: I wonder if it would be cool if you did it just for like the encounter, like if it only lasted, you know, two minutes or something. So you literally could be on the floor, you know, and just drooling because you're into zero, Mm -hmm. but but that's it. Like I don't. know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I've been but on I agree the floor with you that that I, a zero I don't intelligence love it in its current form. I'm I'm down yeah. with that.
0: Yeah, I've been on the floor with a zero intelligence in my Come real here. life world, and uh, it's no fun. I can tell you about that. And you don't recover from it in two minutes. Uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm up to three with some rest, so that's that's good. Uh, congratulations. So so Greg, uh, thank you for that question. I think that's it's a really good question, and you know we could like have a whole show about. Ability damage mm-hmm. and different ways to to game mm-hmm. to game it or make a game out of it, but we are going to get into our news and commentary section starting with a new senior vice president of Dungeons and Dragons at Wizards of the Coast, Dan Rawson. So like uh, the new president of Wizards of the Coast, Cynthia Williams, Dan Rawson is a veteran of uh, Microsoft. Actually worked with Cynthia there mm-hmm. on digital initiatives, and he's worked on several digital ventures for other companies, including Amazon. Uh, the quote was, "Mr. Rawson's e-commerce skill set and digital-first experience will lend itself to continuing to support the growth of D and D Beyond, alongside Dungeons and Dragons overall."
1: Digital first, isn't that how you describe the D and D game? Yeah, well, it might be
0: now. It might be
1: now. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. Digital first. Yeah. I'm going to put that on my business card.
0: Yep. And like many of these resumes we see, it was said that he enjoys playing, uh, you know, has enjoyed playing D&D with his kids. Mm. And, you know, One of I, I hope so. I, I I hope. I like when the people that come in to take over for one of these sort of niche uh, products or experiences like D&D actually understand the game. Uh, yeah. not, not that you need that to make good business decisions, but it's it's always good to sort of know what it is you're selling, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> uh-huh. uh, hopefully that, that is the case. And you got a lot of news from their investor day.
1: Yeah, there were some interesting tidbits. Um, the mm-hmm. company says they'll focus on growth through fewer, bigger brands and cost savings. <laughs> mm-hmm. They plan to cut 250 to 300 million dollars worth of annual costs and to exit unprofitable businesses. And the first part of that cost cutting is labor costs. So we're doing some things we shouldn't do. We're not necessarily going to stop those things, but we're going to fire the people <laughs> who are doing them, or yeah. otherwise remove people who are who are you know costing us. Uh, and then in 2023, they're going to work on their non-labor costs that mm. are that are problematic. One would guess that this is really focused on Hasbro toy divisions that we're talking about here, but mm. it's unclear. And and these kinds of things tend to end up when it's all finished and said and done. They they get shared more equitably so as to not appear to be just harming certain groups. So you know we'll have to see. Do do some people leave right? Um, mm-hmm. there 's always a danger when a new president comes in that they will decide to remove some people uh, it 's not necessarily a bad thing always right i mean sometimes it's it 's a chance to get rid of things that aren 't working um, mm-hmm. but but it's it 's a thing to watch for sure. Um, yeah. The other thing that was interesting they said uh in in this presentation that d and d Beyond has approximately twelve million users. Ten million had been the previous number, so that 's sort of suggesting that two million. Have joined since Hasbro's acquisition of the site. That's a little surprising, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found in some old notes because I love keeping old notes that in December 2018, so four years ago, Adam Bradford had said that they had 3.7 million registered users. So mm-hmm. that's a really big growth since in the last four years uh, to go from you know almost four to twelve. Um, right. They pointed out also, and I like this because it indicates maybe where they're thinking. Twenty percent of D and D Beyond users are DMs, but unsurprisingly, they're the majority of paying users. So, right, twenty mm-hmm. percent of your base is paying your bills; the other eighty percent are freeloaders, and that describes yeah. the RPG industry pretty well. But yeah. are they going to do anything about that? And what is always a fantastic question.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: If there there uh, so, is definitely friends. Yeah, I ended up revisiting fortune cards. <laughs> that was oh, a cautionary tale of what might happen when we try to dream up how to get players paying, right? Yeah,
0: no, but it's you know that there's somebody saying we have, you know, four fifths of our D and D Beyond users are not paying for it, and just using our tools. That's revenue we're losing. How are we going to get some revenue out of them? Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a fair question. It's not uh great question. Yeah. Uh, and so just, just to go back to the, the cost savings and uh, cause cost, cutting costs through labor uh, cuts, we're talking about Hasbro as a whole here, not just wizards of the coast. So right. as Teo said, this might be, um, this might be a, a thing that's more focused on actual physical goods, board games, action figures and so on as opposed to you know more production type of things uh the, the cheapest labor there is out there is writers <laughs> right i mean yeah. when, when you work on any big project that has you know publishing and products involved yeah. the the lowest cost there is is the writing of these things so yeah. i'm not s- terribly worried about the game design uh people because yeah. they probably, you know, three of them makes up what a engineer working on a machine that makes, uh,
1: yeah. makes figures though we more. could, we could do a whole show on how historically wizards has, uh, handled layoffs and mm. cyclically. And, 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 yeah. and even though those were problems, right, what it, what it often meant was it meant that a, a manager of D and D had to decide, do I get to make these cuts that the, that the company has set, do I get rid of. One really useful, expensive person, three medium people that are getting all of this work done, but maybe aren 't quite mm. as valuable as that one it It can be really yeah. tough and, and sometimes sure. companies just set these goals that can be really rough on the groups and and the idea is the managers just thinking, well, if I force them to sharpen their pencils, you know we 'll be running a smooth unit and yeah, maybe right, but we 've seen d and d as a team go from just a feud, you know a handful of people to mm. being a much larger group like it is now. Yeah. You know, one always knows it's never hundred percent efficient, but I mean, how much bloodletting can there be? Right.
0: Right. And how, who has done the writing for most of their recent books? It hasn't been their full-time employees. It's been freelancers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it depends, right. If you get into things like Tasha's and Fizben's, then it's a little different, but yeah, you're right on especially on things like adventures. Like it's right.
0: Radiant Citadel, um, Mm -hmm. Witchlight, you know, was definitely
1: the most external, right? Two-thirds external, yeah. So, Um, you know, another thing here, Sean, during the presentation, they projected a screen showing the D&D movie. Clearly, this is a big deal. uh, And that it would include product. These were categories. Product, Hasbro Pulse, HasLab releases like figurines and other collectibles, a Magic the Gathering secret lair drop, and something on D&D Beyond which is like, yeah, is that sort of like they did for Vecna? Or is it bigger? Who knows, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. The movie will have D&D Beyond releases or releases. Yep. Um, the last thing I would mention here is that I couldn't help but do what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is, um, you know, periodically look at various staff members and see what their Twitter bios say. And I couldn't help but notice that Ray Winninger, who led the d group as executive director, his Twitter bio no longer says Wizards of the Coast, so likely they have left Wizards of the Coast, uh, which is which is uh, interesting uh, given this new position. He was he was not a VP; he was the executive director. But there's been a very interesting handling just in the last few years of the D and D team. Right, we had somebody like Nathan Stewart who was very forward present, part mm-hmm. of the image, was doing a lot of tinkering. Someone like Ray, who is more sort of in the background, right? You would just see a few participation bits on Twitter and videos. Mm-hmm. Um, what will this next person be like? I, I'm curious to see.
0: Yeah. Yep. We will keep an eye on that as we always do. Um, Lego and D&D have a product submission challenge. So Lego has an idea site where people can submit ideas and fans can vote on them. Lego and D&D are asking you, yes, you, to pitch your D&D Lego set idea. These can be detailed display models for your favorite characters or monsters, functional displays for players and dungeon masters, or an ultimate build with customizable elements. Uh, All of the rules for this are on the website, which we've linked uh, to the Lego site. And uh, it needs to be between 50 and 3,000 Legos that capture that can be captured in digital images or using their BrickLink app, and then they'll be voted on. If you win after you are voted on by Lego and D D judges, if your set becomes reality, you'd get one percent of total net sales, uh, ten copies of the set, credits, and a D and D product prize package. You only have until November 14th to submit. And then fans will vote until December, and the judges uh, will select the winner on December 19th. So this is cool. And this was followed up by a tweet by Monty Cook, which I thought we should mention because it was really interesting. When he worked for TSR, he said that he used Legos in his home games. And he wanted to go to a convention and sort of partner with Lego to show all the cool things you can do with Legos in your D&D game. And he got to run around for a while. And finally, he got a hold of someone who could give him a straight answer. And the person he got a hold of said straight up, we will never partner with D&D because of its problematic nature, you know, the whole satanic panic thing. And he, you know, he pointed out that, you know, this was a, a pretty definitive no, not ever. And now here we are, you know, 20 years later. And we are, uh, or 25 years later probably, and we are now having a partnership between yeah.
1: LEGO and D&D in this way. And I remember somewhere around like 2007 or something like that, I forget, going to Gen Con. And there was, LEGO had a sort of d and like game that they made. And they had little individual sets and, and, and it had its own rules for how you rolled a LEGO die uh, that was sort of a D6 with little bits on it. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's so interesting. They did something that's very D&D inspired, clearly, but is mm-hmm. not D&D branded. And, you know, why was that not possible? And I, I bet that would right. be possible now, which is a big change in how things have gone.
0: Yeah, my players have a competition going who can build the best Lego dice tower, the biggest, most nice. complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I told them they should they should join. So we'll, we'll see yeah. if they do. Um uh, hey, submissions should be about yeah. flumps. Exactly, exactly. The Lego Flump. Uh, the Dragons of Stormwreck Isle Adventure box set is now available everywhere. This $20 starter set is available in English, also French, Italian, German, and Spanish on October 18th. Uh, Portuguese and J- Japanese will be coming at a later date. Uh, you can also, the product will link to videos on the D&D site to help new DMs and players learn how to play and make the most of their experience. And all of that... Is on YouTube, so you can get it even without buying the starter set. And there's also a free excerpt from the adventure containing the first encounter called Drowned Sailors, available on the Wizards of the Wizards of the Coast website.
1: Yeah, link in our show notes.
0: Yep, you want to talk about critical role?
1: Yeah, I mean, just really briefly, they renewed not only Season 2, which had already been announced, but now Season 3 already uh, has been announced as renewed uh, as the trailer for Season 2 comes out. And uh, ComicBook.com reports uh, on what it's about. Season 2 will pit the adventuring group Vox Machina against the Chroma Conclave, a group of powerful chromatic dragons. Along the way, the party will need to gather powerful artifacts known as the Vestiges of Divergence and sort out their own internal drama. I, I was kind of surprised that it's been renewed for a third season, given that I haven't heard that much about the show, but I don't have Amazon stuff. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I don't follow it very closely, um, but I thought that was interesting. Like maybe the numbers are better than I thought they have been. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm yeah. Curious.
0: Yeah. It, it. I watched the first maybe three or four episodes and I don't li- wa- listen to Critical Role. Um, mm-hmm. I don't hate it. I just don't right. have the time. And I thought the first like two or three episodes were very silly not in a bad way just in a sort of yeah this is how my home group plays right the, a little yeah. a little uh a little I don't know even a little vulgar a little silly uh, you know <laughs> not quite serious and the last episode I watched actually started getting into some of the serious stuff uh but by that time I had sort of already said well I this is I don't have the time for this so I I'm going to Hold it off. But like you said, it really didn't get outside of the D and D fans and the critical role people who were looking forward to it, I didn't get a lot of other people flocking to it. But we don't see the behind the scenes numbers that people were watching. So obviously Very they're serious. doing something right.
1: Cool. Good news.
0: In other big news, we have D&D movie prequel novels announced. Two novels will be released on February 7th of 2023, just days, weeks, months before the movie is released. Uh, That's pretty cool. And you want to talk about what those novels are and
1: what they do? Yeah. So the prequel novels are The Road to Neverwinter by J. Lee Johnson and The Druids Call by E.K. Johnston. And we heard a little bit about the second one, which is the Druid's Call is all about the Druid character Doric, the tiefling druid. And it's going to provide the backstory to them. The covers have art of the actors and the roles in the movie. So it's kind of cool to see, like, this movie is a big enough deal that we're going to get these novels that tell us, you know, the backstory of the characters. Like, And who knows whether there'll be more, or is it just they pick these two as the favorites? Um... But then the German D&D account revealed what, and it's not an official D&D account. It's a account that looks at D&D news and, and provides information okay. on it. Um, but um, they said that they kind of caught these various German language uh, releases that are also going to be in English. The Honor Among Thieves Deluxe Junior Novelization Honor among Thieves, the quest begins, heroes unite, and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves off, Official Activity Book. And this ranges from all kinds of like young ages. So the, the first one is like if you're sort of too young to see the movie, here's the book version of it with a full color poster and movie images and all that. Um, there is one for even younger fans for ages three to seven. A reading tutor book, and uh, one of them has like fifty stickers. Which I'm like, you think that's only for ages three to seven? <laughs> I'm yeah. ready for this. You said thirty-seven, right? <laughs> oh, three right. to seven, not three to seven, okay. 37 up. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, this is
0: this is great. This is exactly what we when we were going through the doldrums of fourth edition, and no, the game wasn't yeah. making any treadway in in uh you know popular media. We wanted these books, these things, these tie-ins. Yeah. Uh, how to read using the D and D movie as <laughs> yeah. as as a catalyst. I mean, this is this is all great stuff. Yeah, Give me excellent. my D and D branded baloney, man. Let's, <laughs> let's make this happen. Cool. Uh, and confirmation that the uh, the movie takes place in or around Neverwinter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, we, it's so, really we sort of knew argument. it, but but there it is.
1: Yeah, there oh. seems like there's some sort of ice scene somewhere, so there's some other angle mm-hmm. to it. But but for sure, yeah. looks like the heart of it must be Neverwinter.
0: Okay. Uh, in job news, Roll Twenty and Modifius Entertainment are both hiring. Uh, Roll Twenty is hiring for a software developer. Uh, they are continuing their previous. Uh, Bouts of clear job descriptions. The salary is from 75 to 90,000 plus benefits. And we have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, speaking of Roll20, they are getting ready for RollCon, their annual online convention, giving away free RPGs and supplements on their website. I did notice that Mark Napick, who is the founder co-founder of the Misdirected Mark Network, mm-hmm. who was one of the first people hired at um, the OBS. DM's Guild. Yeah, well, at the DM's yeah. Guild specifically yeah. for OBS, said that he was leaving OBS, and we were all like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> but he's going over to work at Roll20, which is sort of the same company now. So yep. uh, it's good that he he is still gainfully employed because he gets into trouble a lot if, if he has too oh, much yeah. time on his hands.
1: He's been my DM. I've... Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and, and Modifius is hiring a brand manager uh, to build internal and licensed brands, provide strategic direction and creative leadership, share key brands and IPs, manage licensing relationships, and so on. And this is a work from home role because Modifius is a British enterprise, with the salary being between 20, uh, 27,000 and 30,000 pounds, which used to be worth much more than the dollar. But is now less so. Um, yes, it's a lot with,
1: closer, which with is the recent, yeah, which is a tough
0: salary range, but yeah, yep. But it's there. And last but not least, we have another success in RPGs episode from Mister Teos Abadia And "How to Budget as an RPG Designer." What do you What do you look at in this particular episode?
1: So I'm trying to you know answer that question of if you. Can I basically, can I afford to be an RPG designer and can mm-hmm. I afford these freelance rates? Can I afford this job, right? Could I afford to be the Medifius brand manager? And to do that, you have to know, well, what does life cost me, right? What's my cost of living? Mm-hmm. And so this walks through how you can do that, uh, which is just kind of personal finance stuff. Very, you know, non RPG necessarily, but I look at it through that RPG lens and, and how to budget out those things so you can track awesome. it.
0: And that's all available on YouTube, as well as a link in our show notes. So you can go to YouTube and uh, search on success in RPGs, and I'm sure you would mm-hmm. find Teos's smiling face. You you are smiling through these, right? Or is it all grimace? Uh, yes.
1: Well, I mean, every now and then I do grimace, but I try to smile. Okay, good. Positive good. thinking.
0: You should smile more.
1: Um, <laughs> Thanks so much. Anytime. I look great when I smile. I look so Exactly.
0: Nice. Exactly. <laughs> so... The main topic that we're going to get to now is 5e Revisited, but before we get to that, we need to talk about the newest Unearthed Arcana. So we will continue with the Unearthed Arcana review and how it relates to 5e and the new version 1D&D. We looked at the Bard last week as well as some of the material that was in the packet before the Bard, but now we are going to get into the Ranger and the Rogue and maybe even beyond if we if we move at a rapid clip. So let's talk about I the think ranger. This is
1: a great comparison, Sean, because the rogue is one of those classes everybody loves. And the ranger is one of those people often complain about, even though there are some mm-hmm. very good builds. I think it's a very interesting comparison.
0: Yeah. So uh what's unchanged? The hit points are unchanged, the hit dice are unchanged, uh proficiency and multi-classing. You know, we we covered all of that last week. One thing yeah. I thought that was interesting and I I'm not sure if it's we're gonna see more of it, was at the start of the class they tell you what the primary abilities are for the ranger, it's dexterity and wisdom. But when you get to proficiencies, they're proficient in saving throws strength and dexterity instead of wisdom and dexterity. So oh, I, I don't know if that's yeah, I don't know if that's something No, though,
1: strength and dexterity. Yeah.
0: So it's just to me, it's odd that they say, "Okay, your your two your two main Mm -hmm. things are going to be these two, but we're going to give you strength uh, proficiency for your save instead of wisdom." I I don't care. It was just it was just an interesting. uh, I guess they're
1: trying to say that whether you choose melee or ranged, we support you on the saving throw side. But yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I'd rather they choose one. Right, choose strength or dex plus wisdom. True, sure.
0: that would work. Uh, w- what did you notice about the ranger?
1: So a big thing looking at the table, almost everything is the same other than a few jugglings of features and so on, which we'll talk about, but they have cantrips. What? Mm-hmm. And they get spells starting at first level. And across the editions, you've seen you know rangers with spells way later in their progression or a little sooner, sometimes experiments with none at all. And now it's like you are a spellcaster at level one. Uh, versus in the Player's Handbook, I think it's only at level two. So mm-hmm. you, you're a spellcaster, and you you get uh, two first level spells and two cantrips. And um, there is now there are now two levels where you get expertise. So you know again for DMs and creating adventures and things like that, like there is a lot of expertise on the table with these three classes bringing in tons of expertise. Favorite enemy, which is something that D and D has really struggled with, you know, it, third edition, it was sort of choose a monster and you're really good at damaging it and doing these various things about it. And here it has now transmuted transmuted again to where it's really around Hunter's Mark. What I do like about this is that Hunter's Mark is this spell that if, you, if you've if you played a ranger, you kind of know it's it's really weird because you have like this, all these first level spells that require concentration. And then you realize, oh, Hunter's Mark's going to be ongoing, so I can't cast these other ones because you can't have two concentration spells. Mm-hmm. And you also have the problem that if you're a melee ranger and you go up and attack people, well, you're going to get hit, you're going to lose concentration. So why do I have all these concentration spells? <laughs> and right. so here, and Tasha's kind of took a, 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 a angle on this uh, that was better. And a lot of that has been incorporated into this version. So you now have Hunter's Mark as an always prepared spell. Uh, which by the way, we should say spells are now prepared versus learned, And so that's another change. And one has to wonder whether we'll see changes like that at the wizard level, like are all classes now this way, but, but the ranger is another that switched over to that. Um, Mm -hmm. so hunter's mark is always prepared. No concentration is needed. That's really cool. It does bring up some interesting things. Like, can you cast hunter's mark twice and keep it on going? Right. Um, Mm -hmm because yeah. nothing strictly is preventing that if you chose different targets. Right. But, uh, but I don't think that's a big concern. Uh, it does let you have the benefit of Hunter's Mark be kind of a thing that it's a staple. You're not worried about losing it. I like that a mm-hmm. lot. And then we'll see features kind of play off of it.
0: So, so basically in one D and D, according to this packet, your favorite enemy is the enemy who's right in front of you. <laughs> it's the one you chose
1: today, right? Right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. The- Okay. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it's the idea of being a hunter, right? So I think that's right. fine. It's okay. Um, there was always some flavor to really seeing, like, you know, like in third edition, I chose giants and I was playing a campaign with giants, and so it just felt amazing. But of right. course, if you're not in such an obvious campaign, right, you know, you could really miss out. So here, nobody misses out, and Hunter's Mark now works the way it probably always should have.
0: Right. Um, so you didn't but... choose oozes as your favorite enemy,
1: <laughs> and and fought yeah, right. him
0: that one time
1: yeah well I, I mean you could almost like you could play that game in fifth edition with the different releases right it's like right. i'm playing the tiamat campaign guess what my favorite enemy is right i'm right playing yeah, out yeah. of the abyss it's just yeah um second level we get a fight, fighting style style choice uh, similar to how we we already do in, in the 2014 version but there's no longer a dueling action or option um that's fine and then we have a bunch of other stuff at other levels like Feats at the typical levels, and where all you do is you get that, you know, feet, and you can, of course, choose the ability, increase feat. Um, subclasses, again, use the same progression that we saw last time. So instead of how it, in the 2014 version, you get it at 3rd, 7th, 11th, 15th, now it's 3rd, 6th, nine, fourteen. And my guess is all classes in 1D&D will use this, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Would make sense. If you want to be able to create subclasses that go across different um, classes, which they tried to sort of tried to do in uh, Strixhaven. In Strixhaven, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Um, we get a bunch of fun things that I generally was really positive about. So like roving is this new feature at seventh level that replaces land stride. That used to lo- allow you to ignore difficult terrain and save against plants. Now you get ten foot extra movement, and you have a climb and swim speed equal to your speed. That's pretty neat. Eleventh mm-hmm. um, level, you get tireless, which is <laughs> this part I don't love. You get a bunch of temps, d8 plus proficiency temporary hit points whenever you finish a rest. Eh, what? No. Yeah. Um, well, I'm okay amazing. with that.
0: I'm okay yeah, with that, I'm right? St- you, you get them once when you start the short rest, and then they go away. It's the it's the ones that refresh every round. <laughs> Well, sure. That, yeah. That, but, that the but I think
1: the game was built around temporary hitments being a very rare thing. And so, you know, like mm-hmm. you take that feat, the inspiring leader feat, right? And you could just see like someone saying like, oh, okay, I get to give you guys all a bunch of temps. And, and everybody goes, yeah, we already have temps. Yeah, and Actually, we got yeah. more than what you just rolled. So... Thanks for right. your feet that you spent, you know, like, and there are just too many of those interactions, right? Like someone's going to yeah. say like, Oh, I set up my turn to give you temps. And the ranger goes, well, I already have temps. Oh, I guess my feature is a waste. Or just so many temps. Get rid of the temps.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, all of this is a remnant of trying to give everyone something at every level. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you run out of things to give. So you have to duplicate. And by duplicating, you
1: make every class too similar. Uh, you know what I noticed yeah. along these lines? Jeremy Crawford had in a video a while ago talked about temps, and he'd also talked about hit dice and how he had sort of challenged the team to come up with new uses for hit dice. So I'm surprised we haven't seen any of because that might be an interesting thing for like a ranger to play with, mm-hmm. you know, expending hit dice to do something, overcoming things, right? So dig deep kind of concept.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's hit dice is hit dice is a concept mm-hmm. that doesn't really do much. It used to do a lot in the game. So it's it hung around. And it's always been a rule looking for a use. Yes, you can roll them when you take a short rest to to regain hit points. Uh but do we want to use them in different ways? and by using them in different ways we are no longer able to use them to heal yeah. and if that's if that's a cool choice then i'm all for it but if you never need to take short rests in order to regain hit points then that choice is is nothing it's not a big deal
1: yeah i mean I think where I look at hit dice is hit dice are theoretically meant to be about resource expenditure so that over the adventuring day, you are running low on hit dice, which basically Mm -hmm. never happens. And so I think that both because of the lengthy adventuring day and because we've got all these temporary hit points and other ways to heal that we don't ever use them. Um, And we don't take a lot of short rests. So I sort of feel like if we're going to make that matter, then things should use up hit dice. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, the other thing that's here at tireless is if you have exhaustion, when you finish a short rest, the level decreases by one. So Rangers can knock off exhaustion more quickly.
0: Yeah. The the way they're digging into exhaustion here, it makes me feel like it's going to be a much larger, uh, part of the game than it currently is. Um, right. It Mm -hmm. currently is. There are a few things that give you exhaustion and when you get it, it turns really ugly really quickly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, here it looks like they're trying to make it less harsh to get exhaustion. But the way I've seen it come up enough that I'm wondering if it's something that is going to be used more. Mm-hmm. And by being used more becomes more important. And if it is used more, then it goes from, oh, only a minus one all um, my d20 rolls for one level well if you figure, if you're walking around with six levels of exhaustion a minus 6 to all your d20 yeah. rolls becomes pretty important so right. it's 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 interesting and a little scary but yeah. I, it's scary in a way I like. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot better than the old version, which you know, just your level one was disadvantage on all ability checks, it was just forced certain members of your players to immediately decide they're not going to make any skill checks and stop interacting mm-hmm. with the game. So right. I, I really dislike the old system, and it also could get very ugly very quickly if you didn't if you weren't careful about how much exhaustion you're handing out. Mm -hmm. So it didn't become thrilling. It became problematic, (laughs) right? Right, right. So I I do like that. And yeah, I I wonder whether we'll see like monsters inflict exhaustion more and things like that, you know, situations. Mm -hmm. I think the game could use something like that, that where there's this, uh, another feeling, right, of like an environmental factor, a, yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: kind of, that kind of exhaustion level being being worn through the adversity of your challenges that you're facing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Very quickly, the last Kind of three things here. Nature's Veil is really a nice remake replacing hide in plain sight, which was this really bizarre, like you spend time camouflaging yourself and not moving, and then the moment you move, benefit's gone, uh, and vanish. So those two features are replaced by Nature's Veil, which as a bonus action, you expend a spell slot, so that's expensive, but you become invisible until the end of your next turn. And it doesn't say that attacking breaks that. So you really gain this invisibility. So you really fade away, right? And, um, and that's pretty cool. And so you could use a bunch of spell slots to just fuel doing this a bunch, which is kind of cool at high level. I think it feels neat. I like it. Um, and, and it doesn't have that ambiguity around the language, right? It's not like your DMs trying to go like, well, let me see. When did you apply the camouflage? Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. H- Hide in plain sight has a horrible history in D and D of yeah. a third edition. It was so powerful that you could basically be hide anywhere at any time i know Um, my ranger loved it yeah it was so great for you uh (laughs) but then you're right it became in in fifth edition became pretty much useless um so i'm I'm sure a minute to sit there and you know
1: put on your like i know we all watched predator as kids and we enjoyed it come (laughs) on like no
0: Okay. Yeah, the other thing they so, get
1: which is reminds me of 3e is uh feral senses at 15th level gives you blind sight 30 feet and i used to and <laughs> in addition to hiding in plate sight i would cast this spell that would give me blind sight 120 feet or maybe it even blind sense because i could get the senses of any animal and the whale counted uh my <laughs> dms do not miss that going by uh so <laughs> okay. this is a nice simpler version within 30 feet yeah. you can sense things around you uh, i think that's pretty neat um and then 18th level, you get the what used to be the 20th level capstone, but it's been redone. Foe Slayer now makes your Hunter's Mark deal an extra d10 damage instead of d6. The old Ranger capstone, which was to add like Wisdom mod to one damage roll, was very lame. This mm-hmm. is still really lame. Like, this is plus two damage from Hunter's Mark. Like, I'm 18th level and you're going to give me two points of damage? Yeah. Sean, so I'd like to points. lodge a complaint.
0: <laughs> okay. We will uh send all your complaints to I don't care yeah. at wizards.com. Thanks. I will do that. No, I and mean, yeah, it's the epic
1: boon and that's it. That's the range. Right. And then a yeah. subclass.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of these high level things that we've seen and continue to see here are oh you know, four more points of damage once per round when you attack. You know, things or in this case two. It's like it, it begs for high level D and d to be a different game than low level D and
1: D. Um, yeah but to me some classes get really great stuff oh sure right? and that's sure. that's the problem where where you give if you're going to give one class something that's just you know such candy and then you're giving someone else two points of damage at at 18th level like what do you, it's not even worth tracking right like just right. no um so i hope i was hoping that would get fixed and it's just it's just sort of streamlined in terms of its wording but i just feel it's really weak um the other thing that I just notice is all of these powers, all of the re everything that's been redone is redone to be very clear in a in combat situation. And we saw this with mm-hmm. ancestries too. Right. So gone are these sort of like interpretive powers that have existed across almost all the editions that mm-hmm. kind of give you a thing that you could use in some interesting way. And that is one nice thing about sort of hide in plain sight is it creates a sort of conversation. Or um, all of the, the different kind of favorite enemy type things or terrain powers. They created a sort of conversation and, ooh, can I do this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And that's now it's all very black and white and very, you know, bonus action to become invisible. That does lose stuff, right? Right. It it, it
0: disconnects the flavor that they say they're going for from the mechanics, mm-hmm. but it needs to in, in some senses because... You know, one of the problems with the Rangers over the additions is, you know, you pick a favorite terrain In that terrain, you're a superhero outside of that terrain. You're just like everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, you, you see something like, uh, like feral senses, it says the forces of nature grant you blindsight. Well, what if you're in a city? Well, you still, the forces of nature are still granting <laughs> you this, right? Nature's veil. <laughs> You can become invisible because you're in the forest. No, because nope. just because, right. You could be floating on a, on a cloud in this, right. In uh, another plane and yeah. you can still become invisible uh, because of the spirits of nature. So yeah,
1: it's uh and I, I get it from a game design and utility standpoint, yeah. but I, I do want there to be features both for the ancestries and for the classes and subclasses that are, exploration pillar, role-playing pillar, you know, think outside the box, do cool st- stuff with this mm-hmm. kind of powers. Yeah. And yeah. that's really gone away in this this cut of the 1D&D. Yeah. Um, I want to go quickly through the Ranger subclass, just to say they chose the Hunter. And I play a Hunter. I've played it all the way to the 20th level in Adventures League. I've cheesed it out. I've done all the things one can do. It works super effectively. Of all the Ranger subclasses, this is one you really can't... Can, any complaints are so minor. Right. And they, So they, here, they, this is the one they use for the packet. And what is really interesting is there are a number of levels where in the 2014 version, you get to make a choice. Okay, do I want to have Colossus Slayer? Do I want to have this feature or that feature? Usually three features. Now it's down to one. Mm-hmm. So you really break down that difference between the different types of Rangers. They, they all get one thing. Um, and there's some things like Hunter's Lore, where you get your Hunter's Mark, tells you immunities, resistance, vulnerabilities, and sp- instead of three defensive t- tactics. So even a one new thing replaces a choice of three things. Uh, they have a lot of multi tact type stuff that, that um, are spells. None of them are particularly great. And so this kind of is another kind of problem, given that we will talk about how the sharpshooter feat has changed for a Hunter you now don't have a lot of ways to sort of spike damage and things like casting conjure barrage at 3d8 damage you know when you're a 10th level character is not amazing um so i think the hunter in this version begins to suffer because of the other things in the game that are changing Mm -hmm. and and we'll have to see whether the other subclasses remain sort of as weak as this one um so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, mixed on the, on the range overall. I, I love the change to clarity from features mm. that just basically didn't work. I dislike the lack of flavor. And I think overall the Ranger has taken a, a, a huge hit if you were a sharpshooter uh, right. and, and a medium-sized hit if you were any other type of, of a hunter uh, and, and lost some utility and differentiation in terms of how you might look at your build. It's now very kind of black and white, the choices.
0: Yeah, I I just had one small question, really. And it was with that hunter's lore where you know the strength and weakness of Mm. your prey that you hunters mark. And rules like this where it says you know whether that creature has immunities, resistances, or vulnerabilities and what they are. What is the rule for non-hunters in that? (laughs) Do you just – you cannot know, you cannot find out? Or you can know if you make a certain check – um it's sort of it mm-hmm. sort of begs the question of what the rule is that this rule is breaking uh right exception-based design right right there's a baseline and then we'll make exceptions that's for. that's a it. good
1: point there there is yeah. no true advice that i can remember in the monster manual saying like you know players don't know this and there's no check to learn this right like, right uh. It's nothing really addressing that, especially since fourth edition had roles that allowed you to learn things. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, that's Mm -hmm. and maybe in the maybe in the Dungeon Masters Guide there is something uh that that's there that I don't I'm not remembering at the time. But let's talk about the rogue then. So we we've covered the Ranger. The Rogue uh has all of the many of the similar things that it's had in the past and like the bard and the ranger before it they are an expert so they get expertise right away at first level going to go through my notes here the sneak attack is
1: the same as it was i think yeah, except for a wording tweak so so yeah. we get the same damage the same kind of number of uses but what's different is before the language was um uh, set up to be um, you know on your turn, which mm-hmm. you can get turns or it was not limited to your turn um and now it is so now it's limited mm-hmm. on once on each of your turns when you take the attack action and before you could get to go whether it was an opportunity attack or say somebody giving you like commander strike type thing from uh, battlemaster, you could get extra actions that were off turn and those qualified for sneak attack because it wasn't confined to just your original turn and the attack action. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting because that lowers your damage and sort of shenanigans you can try to plan for.
0: Yep. Uh, at first level, you also get thieves cant, so you can speak with your thiefy friends, uh, second level cunning action using your bonus action to dash disengage or hide. Uh, and then at third level, we begin with our subclass features. So again, uh, a
1: change, see. you know, 3, 6, 10, 14 are your subclass levels. So it's all been standardized yep. with the BARD, at least across the experts. So, right. you know, it'll be interesting to do other groups use the same progression, but at least all the experts are on that 3, 6, 10, 14, which is interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, what what was your note on feats here, feats with bards or feats? So, with you bars? know,
1: this is around the time when you're like, okay, yeah, we all get the same feats and there's nothing that you get on one of those levels mostly. And then suddenly, hey, a feat choice at level 10. That's not a feat level. So for some reason, the rogue, which is one of the best working classes in all of 5e, they decided to give it an extra feat at 10th level. I can't begin to understand why, but you get another feat choice. And it can also be the ability improvement feat. So, huh. Yeah. Why?
0: Maybe they maybe they ran out of things to give, <laughs> so they're just going to throw an extra feat in. Ship it! Uh, ninth level, you have your evasion. So, mm-hmm. right, having your damage, even if you fail, and then no damage if you save on a dexterity saving throw. Uh, reliable talent at 11th level. If you roll uh, less than a nine on a check that you're proficient with, uh, with a skill or tool proficiency, you can take, make that roll of nine or less like 10. And that's uh, nice that they,
1: s- they, they've clarified that it works for tool or skill proficiencies, which is good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's talk about subtle strikes. This is new.
1: Yeah. You have an advantage. You have advantage on any attack roll that targets a creature that is, that is within five feet of at least one of your allies who isn't incapacitated. So before there was this ability sneak attack. Now it's just you get advantage kind of all the time, right? Like that's amazing yeah. and and for like ranged people this is a huge deal. This is huge for every rogue. So that that is a strong power up. And again, the rogue working perfectly fine. I'm giving you advantage all the time. I'm giving you an extra feat. Why?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the funny thing is when 5th edition first came out, I was constantly having to qu- to uh, correct new players because they were treating mm-hmm. the sneak attack as advantage. Yeah. Oh well, I have advantage because I have an 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 ally within five feet. Like no, that's you get the sneak attack, but you don't have advantage. Mm-hmm. And now they're saying, well, here now you do have advantage at thirteenth level. Uh, so th- so there's that. Uh, yeah, and Kenny Dodge clarifying that it works against an attack roll. Um, not just an attack yeah. um, evasion, clarifying that you can't be incapacitated. Slippery mind now grants proficiency in both wisdom and charisma saving throws. Um, and your stroke of luck, the eighteenth level, um, used to be your capstone. Now it's at eighteenth level. You have a knack for succeeding when you need to. If you fail a d twenty test, you can turn the roll into a twenty. Mm-hmm. You can use this feature once per short or long rest.
1: Um, yeah, so that can give you a crit when you attack, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, of course. Currently, it doesn't, I think, boost your damage, or I forget if they reverted that in this packet or not. But if if it goes the way of the first packet, at least it would mean that you don't get to roll a bunch of extra dice, which would be a shame. But.
0: Yeah. Well, i I am not one. I'm not a big fan of auto crits. I, you know, at least make you make them say, right, this does like the, the worst thing possible, which is, oh, you missed, which you rarely do at 18th level. Well, not only do you hit, you hit with a natural 20, so it's a critical hit with all the ways that not just rogues, but any character can build up all of these critical, uh, critical hit bonuses. It, it is
1: once per long rest. So, I mean, it's not... You know, sure, least or it's not like a proficiency rest. bonus. Oh, shorter, yeah, yeah, still, yeah. Uh, I, I don't mean, know. yeah, I'm okay with. it. Yeah, I, but I, but this I don't is hate again. It. Compare this to plus yeah. two damage for the ranger. I'd yeah. like to lodge a complaint. I'm going to yes. send it to that email address that you gave me.
0: Okay, there you go. And <laughs> the, again, that's I don't care at wizards.com. dot uh, <laughs> So the rogue subclass that they show us is the thief. And what do we get with the thief? Well, we get many of the things that we saw with the other thief. We get fast hands that gives you the option of using your bonus action to do a search or to make a dexterity sleight of hand check to pick a lock or disarm a trap or to pick a pocket.
1: And, you know, at this moment was when I really like thought to myself in designer brain, like, wow, they're really changing the language of how you use tools. And and it'll be interesting to see to what extent it's a... um, and I want to say cosmetic, but a a way that you you know a, that you write it, the proper language of D anD D, versus mm-hmm. something that really transforms the game in some way. Because in the past we would have said a dexterity check with thieves' tools, and, and you could argue, in fact, we did argue what exactly you should do writing that out. Mm-hmm. But that's essentially mm-hmm. what it meant. You're making a dexterity check. You're applying your thieves' tools. You're proficient in it. You throw in your proficiency bonus. But now it's a sleight of hand check. So we're really assigning skills to tools. And then mm-hmm. boosting them with tools is sort of what this edition seems to be doing, which is a kind of way to get past that Xanathar's kind of convoluted, like maybe in this situation you could get a benefit. Um, so a thing like fast hands is stepping in and saying, okay, you're going to make this sleight of hand check to pick a lock or disarm a trap. And that's that's interesting that that's very now becoming a lot more prescriptive versus the DMG guidance on what it takes to overcome a, ru- a trap is kind yeah. of all over the place, right? Yeah. Wait, could, so, be antenna, so, could be this could yeah be that.
0: so so this is so so check my math on this mm-hmm. so you could be proficient in sleight of hand as a skill or proficient with thieves tools as a tool mm-hmm. but this is telling you, don't use your thieves tools proficiency, use your sleight of hand proficiency
1: yeah, so I think what's happening now in the game is you're making a dexterity check sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. which you may or may not be proficient in. And then because you have thieves tools, you're going to add a bonus. So your check will be even higher because of your proficiency in thieves tools.
0: Okay. And that's so, just for in this new packet. Right. Okay. Right. Gotcha. All
1: right. That's, that's you. what it sounds like. So to me, it looks like there's a sort of fundamental, like a tool. If the tool can apply, you're going to get a bonus, but you're not making tool checks anymore. you're making, Normal normal. You're making skill checks and so the rules will have to tell you what skill check to do, right? In the past it was okay. like to disarm a trap, use thieves tools. Now it's like make a cycl like, slight a hand check. Okay, hey, do you have thieves tools? You get a bonus.
0: Alright. So so I you think. could technically if you have thieves tools, you could still get the bonus with them, even if you're not proficient with the skill that you're using to
1: Yeah. I, I mean, think it, so. <laughs>
0: It sort that's, of makes sense because you don't need to be proficient with a crowbar to use it to gain right. an advantage on uh, athletics checks to break a door down.
1: Uh, I think that's kind of the concept they're going for, which which I do okay. like better. And I find the current system just leads to never using tools. Mm-hmm. And when you write things in toolies, when you try to say, like, make a dexterity check with smith's tools people look at you sideways like what are you trying to do in this adventure right so so this will be better in that you could say like make a strength dexterity check if, you know smith's tools applies and you'd get some bonus so i think i think that's where this is going so it'll be interesting okay. to see if in theory they go this route they could do a lot more like maybe you get thieves tools of plus one or you know i don't know yeah any number so of things th- could happen off of this
0: okay at third level you get second story work how did they change this
1: uh... um It's reworded and simplified, and um, it actually made me wonder: Hey, do the rules for jumping change? And later on, we're going to see that yes, in fact, they do, because it says when you take the jump action, you can make a dexterity check instead of a strength check, whereas the current 2014 rules are you just look up the strength score. Yeah. Uh, And so this is because, in fact, the rules for jumping now do require a roll, and we'll complain about those later.
0: No, I'm I'm excited about that. When when I'm teaching. Uh, when I'm teaching the game to new players, one of the first things I do is, like, let's let's do skill checks, ability checks. Mm. And jumping is, like, an easy way to, to show that. But with with 5th edition, it was, well, I can't do that anymore because you know exactly how far you can jump. There's no check to make. You, you can't fail yeah, and jump check because there is no jump check.
1: Yeah, and I don't like that part of it. I don't like the the static thing, but it's interesting... If you look at the history of D&D and try to figure out like what characters can jump, it's it sort of, I think realistically with the D&D tools, it's always really hard to come up with anything that's a meaningful range that sounds either heroic or logical, but doesn't break physics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's too many, there's too big a range on a D20. Yeah. to to get a, a a number that makes sense so right. right
1: if the if the roll were feet you already have a problem right like right exactly i'm gonna run um, jump somewhere between one and twenty feet plus yeah oh, no that doesn't work so, <laughs> so let's uh, look up a complicated table no you know yeah yeah Sorry. exactly
0: exactly uh so at sixth level you get supreme sneak where you have advantage on every dexterity stealth check that you make provided you aren't wearing medium or heavy armor any any thoughts on that? Or uh,
1: I mean, this is always going to hit players that say like, hey, I can just do this. And it's like, well, you still must have all the conditions for hiding. So can someone mm-hmm. see you? Good, You can't do any of this.
0: Okay. Yep. Right. Uh, that's at, always <laughs> important yeah, to remember. That's it, true. At 10th level, you get used magic device um, that allows you to attune up to four magic items. Mm-hmm. Have we heard anything about attunement in the new... I don't think I so, but the old three? rule is
1: three. So we're saying, right. hey, a rogue, you get one more attuned item. Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. And, and then this thing ex- changes with uh, charges. Whenever yeah. you expend a magic item charge, roll a d6. If you roll six, you which is not that often, you're going to use the property without expending the charges. Mm, so-so.
0: And you also get uh, an ability with scrolls that... You can use any spell scroll that bears a cantrip or a first level spell. You can try to cast higher level spells via the scroll, but there is always a chance that it won't work. Yeah,
1: interesting. And the
0: scroll disintegrates if you fail to uh, mm-hmm. to cast it, so you got to be careful there. Uh, at fourteenth level, you get th- Thief's reflexes. Uh, you can now take a second bonus action on your turn, as long as that bonus action comes from your cunning action and uses those actions that are allowed there. Um, you can use this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus regaining all uses after a long rest. I, uh, for multi-classing, this is where I'm worried. <laughs> I get worried about multi-classing because if you have a class that has a bonus action that's very powerful, you are now basically dodging on every every turn because you can do the very powerful thing and then, oh, I have that second bonus action that I can dodge yeah. or hide or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, the old thing was that you could do two turns during the first round of combat, which was very alpha strikey and, and I don't think too many people loved it. Um, it was very powerful. So this is now less powerful because you're sort of saying, hey, take a free cunning action is essentially what it means. And you've got your other bonus action to do whatever you might be able to do with bonus actions, but you're right. It's still something that's pretty strong. And again, my ranger would look at this and go, Hmm, wow, this is a pretty strong class. How about you give me candy? So what do you
0: think overall about the rogue now?
1: This was a great class that didn't need to be messed with and it got stronger. Uh, I'm a little worried, you know, like I, I don't, I, I like the wording changes. There, there's some nice tweaks to things that could use tweaking. But I don't know yeah. that we needed, you know, an extra feed and all these kinds of, you know, always getting advantage. Like some of that stuff just seems really strong. Um,
0: does does the only getting a sneak attack on your turn make up for that?
1: Um, that's a good question. It probably depends on the player, right? If you were mm-hmm. You Know if your battle master was helping you out often, if you were getting opportunity attacks often, then then yeah, you might see that damage decrease. Nothing is going to affect you as much as the fact that you're not getting uh sneak attack to crit and things like that, right? Like that's yeah. that's a big impact, but that's but true, maybe. But uh, again, the ranger's gotten hit way worse, and uh mm. oh, for sure, and, uh, and the ranger wasn't buffed up in the same way,
0: so <laughs> cool. Well, there we go. We have gone through the Thief and the Ranger. And next time we will dig into that massive word that is all of the feats and the changes to feats. Hmm. But we will get to that next time. And I want to thank all our listeners out there. And thank you, Teos, for giving us such an in-depth look at these two new classes. Thank you, Sean. Uh, And can you tell us, where we can find your stuff on the internet.
1: Oh, you can find me at alphastream.org. Uh, from there, you can reach the success in RPGs video and all the other efforts I have on Twitter at AlphaStream. Where can we find you, Sean?
0: You could find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can find the podcasts Twitter handle at mastering D D mastering dungeons is a misdirected mark production. So Teos, now that we have finished with all our experts, What are we going to do now?
1: We're going to make our DM cry with all of our ability checks. (laughs) That are all now tied to a specific ability.